0: Welcome to New Birth Christian Ministries. We are glad you are joining us today. Our services will begin shortly. Here at New Birth, our mission is to transform our families, our schools, our community, and our city by introducing everyone to Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that Christ will change their hearts and baptize them into his family by the Holy Spirit called New Birth. The New Birth experience will begin shortly. He's a good guy a great God so Father God we thank you for your goodness and your mercy which follows us all the days of our life and we're grateful that when it's all said and done as your children we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever so since grace and mercy follows me all the days of my life, I can worship you just for that. But even when I leave this carnal shell, I'll continue to worship you because I'll be dwelling in your house forever. And so we are grateful for every single thing that has happened so far in this service. We came here today for an encounter with you. And let that encounter continue through the word of God. We cast out every distraction, every lie, every voice that will be louder than yours. We say, be quiet. We ask that the seed that is about to fall will fall on good ground. That it may be watered, that it may be cultivated, that we may see increase. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: God is amazing. He's good. Um, I want to make sure we shout out our deacons and our bereavement ministry because they have been showing up and showing out. And I appreciate both of those ministries. In every ministry in operation, but I had to shout them out this morning. Um, last week, Minister Aaron Mackey, he taught us from Genesis 6 concerning Noah and the flood. And, and we learned some very important, some very valuable lessons when it comes to, to building our foundation. And, and, and Minister Mackey, he talked about having faith among the faithless. That even in the midst of a world that has chosen to turn their back on God, we learned that you are to be faithful among the faithless. That you should not join the status quo. That you should watch your heart, walk with God, and keep worshiping. And so today we get a chance to pick back up a little bit after the flood. We'll be in Genesis chapter 11 if you have... um, your Bible, or your phone, or your app. The notes are actually in the app as well. Um, in Genesis 11, what's happening is the flood has occurred. The Lord has graciously made the waters recede. Um, he's given them a rainbow as a sign that He won't do it again. And the world has begun to be repopulated in Genesis 11. And man has still been given the same instructions that He was given in the first three chapters of Genesis which was to be fruitful, to multiply, and to spread across the earth. And in Genesis 11, we pick back up right after the flood. I want to start at verse 1. We'll stop at verse 4. It says, And the whole world, the whole earth, was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, And they dwelt there and they said to one another go to let us make brick and burn them through and they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar and they said go let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. If I can have your attention for a little today, I want to simply tell you be careful what you build. I'll say it over here too. Uh, uh, Be careful what you build, be careful what you lend your hand to, Be, be careful what you join in, be careful what you put your hands in to cultivate. Be careful what you lend your energy to, your time to, your talents to, your beliefs to. Be careful what you build. After the flood, the earth begins to populate again. God still has the same plan and design for mankind, which was to be what? Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Worship him and ultimately live a life that brings him glory. Now, at this particular time in the world, the entire earth was of one language, of one speech. Everybody spoke the same thing, so they heard the same thing. And God says, due to them being of one language and one speech, saying the same thing, but hearing the same thing, it seems that now they're able to accomplish something that was bigger than what they could accomplish individually. The fact that they were together and how they spoke, and how they heard, and how they talked, and moving in the same direction, learning in the same direction, they have an ability to supersede together what was possible individually. They were now stronger as a unit than they would be individually. I, I, I want to stop right here for a brief moment, because what we find early in Genesis 11 is that There's power when individuals learn to communicate. When we learn how to talk and how to work together, when we learn to get on the same page, there is something powerful that will occur. When unity is there in communication, when unity is there in listening and it's at the forefront, you have the ability to mobilize and do something incredible beyond what you could do on your own. Unity creates power. Okay. Um, in my marriage, uh, uh, if we're not on the same page, everything will start crumbling. When we're not hearing the same, when we're not talking the same, when we're not communicating effectively, speaking the same language, it has no power. When one of us wants to save, but the other wants to spend, it's hard to build. When one of us wants to move right, but the other's being pulled left, it's hard to build. When one of us desires to grow toward holiness and the other is content, it is hard to build. In my family, uh, uh, when the family's not on the same page, everything begins to get rocky. When our standards and morals are all over the place and when our beliefs and our systems are all over the place on two different spectrums, when our priorities of what we believe about family are in two different spaces, it is a chaotic family. Even when you consider who you spend time with. The friends you congregate with, the friends you text, the friends you talk to on a daily basis, there's a danger in not being on the same page. There's an issue that can arise when you're not speaking the same language. There's strength that occurs when we as people, we as the church, we as the body of Christ get on the same page and start speaking the same language, start speaking the same thing. There's power and ability that comes from unity. Unity creates strength. Now, the fact that they're on the same page has produced an ability that has implications beyond them. So the first thing we see in Genesis 11 is that we can rest assured that there's something powerful that occurs when we get on one accord. But let me show you what God says. In Genesis 11:6. he says, and the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Okay, now what does God say? He, he, he says, since they're all on the same page, since they're speaking the same language, since they're headed in their direction, the truth of the matter is nothing that they imagine will be restrained from them. Let's consider what God is saying here, because one would think to themselves, well, what's the issue with that? I mean, everybody needs to be on the same page. Everybody should be headed in the same direction. It seems like a kumbaya moment. It's peaceful. There's no fighting. There's no arguing. There's no killing at the moment. But instead, everybody seems to be on board moving together in the right direction. Isn't this what we all desire? I mean, we know how hard it is to get everybody on the same page. Every group trip starts with 30 people and ends with three. Every time we come together, we can't decide what game we wanna play, what song we wanna listen to. You have a difficult enough situation when you and your wife are trying to figure out what to eat. Okay, y'all don't want to talk. Um, one of the unknown stats is that 99% of divorces end because you can't figure out what you want to eat. <laughs> I made that up. But you understand how difficult it is <laughs> to get on the same page. At work with coworkers is hard. At home with family is hard. In ministry, it's rare that you speak the same language. But, but Lord, they're on one accord. So what's the issue? Well, the issue is this. Unity outside of God is rebellion. OK, I'll say it again. Unity outside of God's will is rebellion. See, being on one accord is not the only thing. But being on one accord under God's will, that should be the goal. And this is why you have to be careful in what you join yourself to and who you join yourself in community with. Because we can all be united in a thought, united in an action that can be directly against the plan of God. We can join organizations and join churches and join groups and be joining a movement that looks good externally but not be what God wants us to be pushing. There's agendas that people have underlining that we join ourselves to because it looks good and it sounds good and it seems okay. But there are situations where we put our hands on things that God is saying, I have not approved that thing. And just because the majority is moving in the direction does not mean it's the direction of God just because the world deems it as good and a good idea and a good plan and something that's pleasing to the masses and pleasing to my flesh and it sounds good and it's popular does not mean that God is going to be pleased with it this is the danger in calling something blessed just because it seems to be growing or it seems to be popular See, our litmus test our standard for if God has his hand on something is often based on the external thing that we see we look for numbers and we look for growth and we look for production and we look for a show and we say oh God must have his hand on that we see something that looks successful by man's standard and we assume that God is pleased with it if something has the making of a large name or a big following or grandiose platform there's a belief that This thing is good. And the text shows us that just because something touches the sky does not mean that it's touching God. Okay. You better be careful what you start to build. You better be careful what you join yourself to. Because just because it reaches up to the heavens does not mean it's heaven approved. Just because it touches the sky does not mean that it's heaven approved. Okay. God was not elevating this structure. Man was forcing the structure. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a man-made elevation. I don't want something that somebody else built for me to be on. Because if somebody else built it, if hands built it, that means that hands can destroy it. But listen, when God builds it, when God puts it up, when God frames it, there's no man's hands that can touch what God is building. And you better learn to have the elevation and the platform that God gives you as opposed to the one you're making for yourself. Listen, I don't want a platform made by hands. I don't want a tower to the sky that I imagined and conjured up. I don't want wisdom that's based on my own idea. I don't want a movement that's moving upwardly, but not moving godly. I don't want to... Because unity outside of God's will is rebellion. See, the issue at play here... Is that if they continue to build in this manner, whatever they imagined would not be restrained from them. So whatever they could dream up, whatever they could think, whatever they could set out to do, they would accomplish it. Whatever they thought, since they were in one language, all joined together, they would actually come up with whatever they imagined. They would operate in a God complex outside of the obedience of God. Okay. They would operate as lowercase gods with no direction from big capital G God. And what God is teaching us in the text, he said, whatever you imagine would not be restrained from them. And this right here was going to be a problem. Okay, Lord, why is this a problem? I mean, I'm supposed to dream, I'm supposed to imagine. I'm supposed to chase my dreams and have all these lofty goals and things that I want to do. I'm supposed to chase my heart, right? However, due to man's fallen nature and the corruption of our nature due to sin, uh, you and I need some things restrained from us. We don't need to be able to have everything that we can think of and everything that we could conjure up and everything that we can imagine, because that is the issue with the world right now. More than anything, we are in need of restraint. It is our imagination and our thought process that has failed us since the beginning. Okay, Eve saw the fruit and imagined how good it was for her and her husband. And since she could not restrain herself, she welcomes in sin. Cain imagines and believes that what he's going to bring to God is going to be enough. And instead of allowing God to change his thinking, he gives in and lets his imagination cause him to sin. And we treat imagination like it's this thing that we should follow. It's this thing that we should get behind when God has told us that our imagination is wrong. I know it's going to be difficult because everything we learn about imagination is that you need your imagination. You follow your imagination. You chase your heart. But this is the issue with man. Okay. Genesis 6-5. Let me show you this real quick. Genesis 6-5. It says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay. Okay. Let's look at what the Bible teaches us about man's imagination. The word imagine in the text in Hebrew is not the way that we use imagine culturally. Uh, um, The word imagine in the Hebrew root is Zalman. And what it means, it means to plot evil. It means to think evil. It is not how you and I often view imagination. This is directly dealing with thoughts that do not have God approved outcome. And all through scripture, As we look at man's Zalma, or man's imagination, our ability to conjure up thoughts that end up cultivating evil, we see why God was not allowing them to just do what they wanted to do and obtain whatever they thought. Okay, Jeremiah 7 and 24, write this down. It says, But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and the imagination of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. Okay. Our imagination is rooted in evil. It's rooted in deception. In that it will have you walking backwards instead of forward. Yeah. Uh, um, even right now. It has been our imagination and our thoughts and the things that we have chased that have caused us not to obtain the things that God has for us, but has caused us instead to walk backwards. And whether you want to testify about it or not, many of us are in the places that we're in right now because instead of following the word of God, we have followed what our imagination has told us about the word of God. You think that you're building up when really you're spiraling down. You imagine you're getting ahead, but really you're digging a grave. And God is saying, when you don't root yourself in my plan and my guidance and my instructions, but instead you follow and imagine what society tells you is the way, you will find yourself walking backwards instead of forward. Okay, uh, Romans 121, write this down. Romans 121, it says, um, because that when they knew God, listen, they knew God. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Okay, this may upset some people. Paul in the book of Romans is continuing to build on the truths that Jeremiah the prophet was speaking about centuries before. How is it that the imagination of man is giving them a thought process that they know God have a knowledge of God, but are still not glorifying him as God. Instead, what's happening is I come to church, I participate in church, but instead of believing the God that I dance about, that I sing about, that I preach about, I know God, but do not glorify God. Which means I can perform in godly situations and godly atmospheres, but outside of church, live a life that he's not pleased with. And my imagination would justify the things that I do by saying things like, well, he knows my heart. By saying to myself, well, His mercies are new every day. By saying to myself, well, I have grace and I'm living under grace and not law. But what you must understand is your vain imagination has caused you to know God, but not glorify God. And if you can't glorify God and live a life that he's pleased with, I hate to tell you, he'll say to you, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Okay. Okay. I said, Lord, how is it? That there are people who are preaching your name, who are singing your name, who are playing your name, who will usher in your name, who will greet in your name, who will dance in your name, but they have no part of you. Uh, um, he says, think about this. Um, okay. This tissue right here. Uh, um, the moment I use this tissue, uh, uh, I am not going to take the tissue and put it in my pocket because what? It's now trash. However, it does not negate that the tissue has done its job. Since it's done its job, I no longer need the tissue because it's done its job. In the same way, you could be doing the job and the work. We can be preaching and we can be teaching and we can be singing and we can be dancing, and we can be doing the job, but if we are not truly, 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 truly his, then he will use you and then discard you. And we can continue to act like it's okay. It can continue to take the routine of coming to church and still doing our own little mess on the side. And we all got our own little thing. I got my own little thing. But what God is saying is that your vain imagination will cause you to think that it's okay. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not okay. Instead, our vain imagination causes us to believe just because we come to church and live any old kind of way that we know God. But he says, you do not know me because you're not glorifying me. See, our vain imagination has caused us to think we can dictate the standard and that we can build our own towers our own way. That we can build our own tower into heaven, not by what God tells us, by what our vain imagination deems convenient. So how is it that the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles are both preaching to us about imagination? It means you must take heed that you do not follow yours. I cannot trust what I conjure up. I cannot trust what I establish to do. I cannot trust popular movements and popular groups, but instead I got to learn to come together and take my thoughts and put it before God and say, Lord, are you pleased with the thought? Are you pleased with the idea? Is this the direction you want me to move into? Because if you don't want me to build it, I will not build it, Lord. Okay. The first thing we see today is that unity outside of God is simply organized rebellion. And our imaginations left unchecked will ruin us. Okay. The Lord said, behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Okay, the reason God even flooded the earth in the first place was because every imagination and thought of man's heart was evil continually. Okay, they would have gotten whatever their evil heart could have imagined. And we see now, in our society, what it looks like when everybody gets their evil way. Okay, let's be honest. Um, There have been some things that you wanted to happen and that you wanted to get, and that you forced to make it happen, not because it was something that God wanted for you, but because it was something that you wanted for yourself. There have been some things that we've seen, some things that have caught our eye, and our evil imagination will begin to move, our evil imagination will begin to plan. Our evil imagination will begin to tell us that we need that thing, we deserve that thing, and by any means necessary, we try to get that thing. And due to our lack of restraint, we go and we get it. But this is the evil about our imagination because it deceives us and it lies to us. See, the imagination always paints the picture better than it really is. It always sounds better in your imagination. It always tastes better in your imagination. It always feels better in your imagination. The imagination always seems that once I get it and I get what the flesh desires, that it's going to be a perfect world only for me to get it and find out I only want more. Okay. Don't think too hard on this, please. I don't want to take you back to a crazy place but some of us can testify how you imagined it was going to be and how it really was did not live up to the hype. Your imagination lied to you. The more money you get, the imagination of greed says, you can make a little more. The more you feed your lusty imagination, the more you got to do extra things to fulfill what you used to like. It says, you can feel better with a little bit more. It always begins with the imagination presenting you something, and it always ends with what will satisfy you only for a moment before you imagine something better. And what God was doing is he was protecting them from a future of chasing something they never would catch. That's the issue with man. We are chasing something that we never will catch unless we have Jesus. Okay. I love this text because in this text, we see redemption. We see Jesus all in this text. Even though the name is never mentioned, even though we necessarily don't see him on the cross, we see redemption. Let me show you why. Um, We see redemption in the midst of rebellion Because this is the beauty of our salvation in that God intervenes. God steps into the mess of mankind to save mankind from killing itself. This is salvation. This is the picture of how God sends the beauty of the Holy Spirit. In that before we had an experience with the Holy Spirit... Until I confessed Jesus Christ as Savior, until I acknowledged God as my Father, until I was filled with the Holy Ghost, I was searching for fulfillment. I was trying to build my own tower. I was chasing something. I was chasing a feeling. I was chasing a thought. Can anybody testify before you got Jesus? You were just chasing and chasing and chasing and trying to fulfill. Jumping from relationship to relationship to relationship and boyfriend from boyfriend from girlfriend to girlfriend, from job into to job and from cars and to houses and to things you were chasing and you got it all and realized you still wanted something more. We were looking for love and looking for hope and looking for acceptance. And that that search at the end, looking for love and acceptance, it puts you in danger of looking in the wrong places and building in the wrong places. And even right now, many of us are stuck in situations that we built towers that God did not ordain, that God did not give you the blueprint for. But since you were chasing something, what God does in his redemptive plan It says, you don't gotta look any further. You don't gotta imagine any further. You don't got to chase a false sense of love and a false sense of hope. You don't got to chase the tower in the sky, but let me instill in you your value. Let me put in you the love of God. Let me get you engrafted into the family. Let me adopt you into the fold. Let me cover you with my favor. Let me remind you that I love you, that my mercy is chasing you, that my grace is on your heels. Let me show you that you don't got to try to work your way into heaven to touch me. It's not going to be about the tower that you build. It's going to be about your heart. Let me step in and redeem this people who's about to kill themselves. He said, let us go down and confound their language and stop what they're doing. See, see, God coming down to confound the language is an amazing picture of him stepping in to save me from me. Did anybody need saving from themselves? Listen, it wasn't everybody else all the time. It wasn't what your auntie did and what your mama said or what your daddy did or the environment she was in. It was you putting yourself in situations. You putting yourself in circumstance. Can anybody testify that God rescued you from you? I thank God that he rescued me From me, I was building the wrong towers. I was speaking the wrong language. I was talking to the wrong people. I joined myself with certain crowds. I shouldn't have joined myself. Oh, is it just me? Anybody found themselves talking the wrong language, talking to the wrong people, and God had to intervene and save you? I mean, look at what the text tells us about the intent behind what they were doing. See so see because out of the abundance of their hearts their truth was speaking. In Genesis 11:4 it says they said to themselves go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Let us make us a name let us make us a name okay let us make us a name let's not glorify the name but let us make us a name let us do something that would elevate our name let us create something that will make our name famous. Let us do something that will acquire us more followers. Let us do something that will make us popular. Let us do something that will make people want to be around us. Let us move in a direction that pleases our faith and our, and our flesh, but, but also elevates our flesh. See, the danger with moving according to my own imagination and my own selfish desires is often the end goal is to glorify me. And when the goal is to glorify me, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that I receive glory. I will lie. I will steal. I will cheat. I will disrespect others. I will force myself in certain situations. I will disrespect you. I will find a way to talk about you. I will gossip. I will backbite. I will do everything I can to bring myself glory. I will even put myself in a position that can kill me. Okay. Oh, y'all don't see it in the text? Think about what they're doing. They're building a tower that could potentially reach into the sky. They're building a tower in which the higher they go, the less oxygen they would have. They're building a tower in which the higher they go, the greater the fall and the greater the collapse, the greater the tragedy will be. And when you build up your own name and your own glory, the higher you go, the dangerous it gets. Preaching for your own glory is dangerous. Singing for your own glory is dangerous. Playing for your own glory is dangerous. Dancing and ushering and living for your own glory, only to be built up and to have a great fall, it's dangerous and you better be careful what you've been building when I have a life that, that's only focused on what I can gain and what I can obtain from my own name and what I can make for myself everything I touch on the way to get my glory will be negatively impacted. I will ruin my family I will ruin my friendships I will ruin my name trying to get a name My relationships will suffer due to my selfish desire for glory. My marriage will suffer due to my selfish desire for glory. My children will suffer due to my selfish desire for glory. But ultimately, I will live in direct conflict with the entire reason of my being. Which brings us to the crossroads in the text. Okay, they're building a tower. They're all on one accord. They've all come together speaking the same language. God says, this is not the design, not the plan. This is not what I want. Let us go down and confound their language, which brings us to a crossroads of the text. What is the chief purpose of man? What did God design for me to be? What did God design me for? What is my purpose on this earth? Well, the beauty is that you and I don't have to guess about what you're here for. You don't got to listen to a thousand podcasts and go to a thousand seminars to learn about your purpose and your design. You ain't got to buy my book and you ain't got to do this and do that. All you have to do is open up the scripture and he'll begin to show you what the chief purpose of man is. Listen, I'm not telling you don't go to the conference and don't go listen to the speaker. But what I want to tell you is that they're not telling you anything that God is not already giving you access to. And while you're concerned and worried about your purpose and asking so-and-so, what's my purpose? He said, I gave your purpose in the beginning. I gave your purpose in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. And all through scripture, I've given you what your purpose is. Stop trying to buy your purpose and understand your purpose has already been purchased on the cross. I got purpose for you. Okay? So what is the chief purpose of man? Um, Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes 12 I love how Ecclesiastes 12 13 says because it says let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter okay I I love this because no matter what you're talking about let's talk about the conclusion of the matter no matter what's going on in life let's hear The conclusion of the whole matter, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Okay. Praise team, you can come. Musicians, you can come because we are at the conclusion of the matter. In conclusion of the matter, when it's all said and done, When my casket is closed, when my life comes to an end, my purpose was to fear God and to keep his commandments, not build up my own name, not build up my own following, not amass a bunch of wealth, not get a bunch of houses and a bunch of cars, and for you to talk about how fresh I was, not for people to say how great I am, not for me to make a name for myself, not how I operate in a way that made me famous, but the way I moved, bring glory to him, that's what I want you to talk about. I want you to talk about how I prayed for you, how I left my, listen, I want to talk to you about how I made sure that my family was taken care of, and my wife was taken care of, and my kids knew who Jesus was, not by what I said, but how I lived in my home. I'm talking about living a life that glorified him. I don't care what they say about what I did in the business world, or what I did in the Forbes magazine. I want to know what the book of life was about me. I want to know in how I honor him and how I live, how I honor him and how I talk, how I honor him and how I treat my wife, how I honor him and how I treat people around me, even strangers that I don't know, how I give to people in need even when I do not have it, how I'm not selfish with what I've been given, how I'm not selfish with my time, but I give it back to God, how I glorified him in everything that I've done, that's the chief goal of man. How will you glorify him? I know you want the nice house, you want the nice car you want the promotion but will you give god glory when you get it or will you talk about how your degree got you there and how you worked so hard to get there and how you did so much to get there or will you be honest and say it's nothing but the grace and mercy of god covering my life covering my mind that allowed me to get the education that allowed me to learn how to read that allowed me to make it to work on time it is nothing but the grace of God when God heals you from your sickness will you talk about how oh yeah I started dieting I started working out I started doing some stuff or will you say it's nothing but the glory of God that gave me the ability and the power to start dieting that gave me the ability and the power to start working now. that gave me the ability and the power to start running on that treadmill. It was the glory of God that did it. I mean, I know I was a part of it, but it was nothing but the glory of God that did it. And I glorify him. It is something It is something that he says in the text He says, in conclusion of the whole matter, fear God, keep my commandments. Uh, But but then he says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ooh, okay. What he's saying is that one day there will be a subpoena given to you where you got to show up for your court date. Uh-oh. and in your court date you were going to stand beyond and before the judge and what's going to happen is every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil the judge will begin to look through it now the issue is that we love him to be a savior we love God to intervene we love God to bless us, but we don't want God to judge us. We love that he has grace, love that he has mercy, but we don't want his wrath. But you can't have a savior without having a righteous judge. And so you better learn of 1 Corinthians ten thirty one life. And everything you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. Because that is your purpose. And if you start doing that right now, the secret things that you do will be good things. And when they talk about the secret things in the courtroom, since everything you do brings God glory, it's going to be a celebration in the courtroom. It's going to be a testimony service in the courtroom. Listen, I thank God. That he's given me the ability and everything I do to glorify him. I was created to glorify him. As our altar workers come, what we've learned so far today to add to our foundation is that when people get united on one accord, speaking one language, there's power and ability that is shown. But unity outside of God's plan is rebellion. Your imagination without restraints is dangerous. And man's sole purpose is to glorify God. I want us to all stand. Um, I love this text because it teaches us that God, the intelligent designer, created man as an intelligent design. Now, it means he made us to think, to create, to use our gifts to problem solve. And, and what's crazy about this text, it's a great example of how man uses technology and technological advances to subdue the earth but also to problem solve. We see they discovered how to engineer brick because in Shinar th- there was no stone brick. So they came together as intelligent designs and put together technology to build bricks. And the slime that grew from the ground, the asphalt, they had that for mortar. The slime was a new design. It served as more than asphalt, but, but it was a combination of the brick from the clay and the slime from the mortar that allowed them to build buildings much higher at that time. It was a technological advancement. So the technological discovery of using materials was a blessing that could create stronger buildings but the goal behind using the technology was all wrong the goal was against glorifying god now you gotta remember this is after the flood so the people of this time would still be familiar with what happened by hearing about it from generations before them by hearing about how god wiped out the earth with the flood okay it seems that part of the purpose behind trying to build a tower high above the earth was just in case God flooded the earth again. Okay, think about this. If they can build a, higher tower, a, a, a tower high enough into the heavens, it was a feeble attempt to try to outsmart God. The, the, the issue is not the technology that man creates. The issue is that man likes to think Its technology will outsmart God. Not only are they looking to outdo and outsmart God, but they also did not want to spread across the earth, which is a direct no to what God told them to do. So God says, Let us go down. Come on, let's save them from killing themselves, save them from being stuck in rebellion, from being trapped in disobedience confounded their language, which simply means he creates different languages and caused everyone to no longer be on the same language. He stirs up their plan. Okay, Elder Wingrove, what looks like dysfunction was really proper planning. (laughs) What looks to you and me like confusion is really God setting things back in order. Because now they have no choice but to separate, go their own ways, because they can no longer hear and understand each other. They now have to scatter across the earth and subdue the world. Okay, I don't know who this is for. But sometimes God will have you and other people stop speaking the same language for the purpose of pushing you into his plan for you. Sometimes there has to be a confounding of language and a confounding of relationships because if not, you'll keep building somewhere that you're not supposed to be building. And what God is saying, he's saying in order to get the most out of your life, in order to get the most out of your gift, in order to get the most out of your position, in order to get the most out of where you currently are, in order to get the most so you can be used for my glory, I gotta get you speaking the right language. So if you're here today, and you know that God is pulling you out of some circles, he's pulling you out of some friendships, he's pulling you out of some thought processes, how you talk to yourself. That is a language you got to change, how you talk to yourself. If you believe that God is pulling you out of some circles, I want you to come. I want you to make your way to the altar. We want to pray with you. We believe that God is going to start confounding your language. That God is going to start having you speaking differently, talking differently. To pull you out of some things, some ideas, some thoughts that you may have. God is going to pull you I want you to come. The altar is also open for prayer. If you just want prayer, we want you to come. If you just want prayer, make your way to the altar. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening, we're here to pray with you. If I have any women of God in the house as well who want to pray, I want to surround my sister right here, Angela, she's going to search me this Friday. So can we surround her in prayer, please? Can we surround her in prayer and stand with her in prayer, please? If you are in prayer, we want you to come. I believe. I know it to be true. You got to know it to be true. You got to believe it by faith. you got to establish it by faith. I want you to come.
1: Lord, I yeah. is to be what you call me to be. That's what I be. I will be. I'll say yes, Lord I agree, my desire passionately is to be what you call me to be, that's what I'll be. Lord, I agree, my is to be what
0: you, what you call me to be. to be. That's what I'll be.
1: That's what I'll be.
0: Listen, if you're here today and you have not given Jesus Christ your heart, you have not given him your life, which means that if you've never prayed the prayer of salvation, if you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the grave, and today before you leave, you want to make sure that your name is written in the book of life, I want you to come today. If God is pulling on your heart. And you want to change. You want a new language. You want to talk different. You want to walk different. You're tired of living life like you're living it. You need power. And the only power comes through the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. If that's you today, I want you to come. We want you to come. We thank God for you. We thank God for you, brother. We thank God for you coming. Keep coming. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, I want you to come.
1: Make your way to the altar. Don't
0: leave here without knowing where you're going to spend eternity. The last call I want to make. If you would like to be a member of New Birth Christian Ministries, see net right here with the red envelope to my right please see her so that we can get your information we would love to have you join us as a member of this church new birth christian ministries now what i want to say is this if you've never signed yourself up as a member no matter how long you've been going here you need to do the paperwork to make sure we have you on the road I don't care if your mama been going here for 10 years and you've been coming with her. If you are a grown-up and you're not on the road, you're not on the road. So please see her and get on the road if you are a member of Birth Christian Ministries. Amen. We thank God for you coming. Let's pray. Let's stand to our feet. Let's
1: pray.
0: Father God, we thank you. For just being God and God alone. We thank you for your word. That we are learning to be careful where we build. To be careful where we establish relationships. To be careful where we establish friendships. To be careful how we talk to ourselves. And to make sure we are speaking the language you called us to speak. And so right now Father God Push us back into our purpose. Push us back into your plan. Not into what we want to do, not into what we see for ourselves, but what you have designed and desired for us. Give us the ability, Father God, to see beyond our own selfish wants and our own selfish desires. Give us the ability and the strength to walk in faith and to put action to our faith and begin to do what you've called us to do. And so right now, Father God, we're believing and we're knowing that today will be the first day of the rest of our life. We will only speak the language you want us to speak. We will only build where you want us to build. And we'll forever give your name glory and give your name honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Consider yourself dismissed.
1: My desire (laughs) she <laughs>